0: Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe, you're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. I'm David Strausser, and welcome to another episode of Shark Bite. Biz. Biz, your place to talk business, sales, marketing, and how businesses are making pivots during this global pandemic. Today, we got a great episode lined up. We're going to be bringing in an expert in sales, business development, data centers, and reverse logistics. But what I find most interesting is how he is helping businesses position growth. It's a pretty good concept when you think about it. How many companies have had to downsize because of the current market conditions? And because of those conditions, sales are so ever important right now. It is what makes the world go round. And if you don't have top level talent doing sales during this time period, oh man, it is going to be a little bit of a rocky road for you. That's where today's guest comes in. We'll get to hear from him on a variety of topics, from both him and his wife being small business owners, to his company and how they are helping businesses make it through this time period in a cost-effective manner. All around, it's an amazing discussion on various different aspects about business, plus like me, Pete is a huge music fad. So who is Pete? Pete Paisley has 25 plus years in the IT hardware and services industry in sales and business development. Since 2019, Pete has been operating his own consulting business, Deploy Group LLC, providing fractional sales and biz dev services to smaller companies in the data center and reverse logistics space. So let's bring Pete on in here. Make the sale. Hey, Pete, welcome to Shark Bite So glad to have you.
1: Hi, David. Great to see you again.
0: Yeah. So I know you're an avid listener of the show, you know, kind of how we Indeed. kick off every show and it's, Hey, what's your experience? What's your background? I know who you are, but please tell everybody out there who exactly you are.
1: Yeah. Pete Paisley. I'm a business consultant, small business owner based out of the San Diego, California area. And I, I'm in the computer business, been in the computer business for uh, almost 25 years. And my current company do play group is a consultant to a handful of, I do sales business. Development consulting for computer
0: companies. No, oh, that's that's really really good. And I know, as part of your background, one of the things that you've done, I think at least once, maybe more, is you've kind of have done a career transformation. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been through a few. So I got the startup bug with a business partner out of UK a couple years ago, and <laughs> uh, we did. I did launch a business for him here in the states. I've been kind of in the aftermarket side of the computer business for many years. This guy had a, right. a hard drive repair appliance, and it was actually some really cool technology. So I started a U.S. business for him to sell and market that over here in the States. Um, for a variety of reasons, it didn't go well, didn't go according to plan, mm-hmm. but that was my last career transition and an attempt to do a startup. I did one earlier in my career in the late 90s. So after that, I was casting about for what to do next. And that's when I started the consulting business because I, I had a couple of opportunities with a couple mm-hmm. different to work on a fractional basis for them. So it kind of fell into my lap and I was very fortunate in that regard. So
0: I've been doing this for about a year now. It's been going well. Excellent. Excellent. So I've got... Uh ask you. I mean, career change is something that we do cover on the show, and it's surprising how many people have actually done that. I mean, it's kind of something like, you know, you're young, you you might pick a degree or field, and then, you know, what you liked when you were 18, 20, 22 is sometimes different when you're 35, 40, 45. Uh And did you have any fear of changing at all or anything like that? Or was it just like, hey, I'm jumping in and doing this?
1: Oh, sure. There's always some fear and uncertainty and doubt right? You know, I'm fortunate. I'm later in my career. I have a lot of industry relationships and uh, a lot of people who know me within this little segment I work in. So that did help a lot more so than when I would have been younger. I didn't have that track record or people who know for 20 years. But yeah, you wonder how you're going to pay the bills, the bill collect, you know, you still got your uh, nut you have to break every month, so to speak, in terms of income. And I think for anybody, that's a bit nerve wracking. And then since you're on your own, of course, you're always nervous about hey, you know, you could lose this client or that client. You are you can mm-hmm. become a little dependent uh, on your clients and their business circumstances can change. So through the COVID crisis, et cetera, it's, it's gone pretty well. IT is a required business. You know, IT wasn't negatively impacted. It was generally somewhat positively impacted, quite In frankly. In fact, you're right.
0: That's what I was about to say. I mean, that's one of the industries that are seeing a lot of growth. I know with me, yeah. with ERP, we have companies uh, that are now calling for Vision 33, that maybe they were two or three years away in their business life cycle to getting out of QuickBooks to uh, an SAP type system. And now that has been accelerated because of e They may have gone from 150 orders a week to 1,500 orders a week, and they don't have the capacity of handling that. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well too? In different ways, but many
1: clients right. Our our end-user customers, uh, my clients, are going through business transformations due to COVID. So, listen, we deal on the tail end of technology a little bit. Both my primary clients help customers deal with legacy hardware and continuing to support it so so there's here's one case study a lot of companies a lot of enterprise companies or mid-sized companies they might be in a, they can't buy new equipment right now for various reasons so they need to keep the older right. equipment running longer so oh that's yeah a good thing for folks
0: like us yeah yeah we so run into not- that yeah. right now we have a we have a prospect that we're finishing the sales cycle with i mean the system that they're using is that old i mean it's still green screen and everything and one of their biggest drivers of changing is the cost of maintaining that equipment because it's so darn expensive yeah
1: and and at the tail end the risk can go up for those people who own this very hold equipment but for many of them uh and now we're changing gears a little bit you know in my experience a lot of those folks they wrote applications years ago and they run They're, they know them. But yeah, uh, over time, if it's dependent on a certain exact type of hardware, it can be very risky for them to hold on to it and very costly to maintain.
0: OK, so let's get back where we were just discussing about the career change that you had made. And one of the things that was interesting is that you had said, yeah, you know, there's the the pressure like, hey, I need to make sure the bills are paid, stuff like that. For you, it's almost like a double whammy, because if I remember you correctly, your wife also is... a small business owner, right? Yeah, she has a
1: small food vending business. And I will say that has been impacted to zero by the uh, by COVID-19.
0: So is her is is that business essentially then shut down because of what's going on? Totally shut down because
1: hers is dependent on live events and there are no more. Mm. So my wife's business, it's a kettle corn business and it was a lifestyle business for her. She loves the people. She loves doing the events. You know, she's a retired person, but she loves interacting with people and doing these live events. It was a nice business for her. And she had two choices. She could go apply for unemployment once they open that up right. to sole proprietors or self-employed in California, right. or she could apply for a PPP loan. Now, right. we might have been able to get away with doing both, but we chose to do unemployment and that's worked out to be pretty fair for her. We'll see We'll see how it plays out through the end of the year and whether the Congress agrees to 400 a week. To summit extension, right?
0: Yeah. What, what they're, they're doing. I mean, it is pretty crazy. But I mean, with that, to be I mean, it, it's not like she was a W-2 employee and she got the regular state unemployment plus the federal aid, right? I know at least here in Pennsylvania, business owners, they could only get that federal $600 a week. That's all they got.
1: Well, here in California, they give you the minimum in addition to that, which is about 147 a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so it's you know, it's 600 a month. So it, yeah. it's a difference maker for some people.
0: It definitely... Definitely helps, you know, and when you had said about her doing the kettle corn at the events and stuff, it kind of made me me smirk a little bit because I remember I was looking for either a contract or employment probably about eight years ago and there was someone that did kettle corn for school and they were telling me like, hey, trust me, it's a big business. You can make a couple thousand dollars a month. Uh, But it just, I I don't know. I didn't find it appealing. Is kettle corn that big of a business?
1: You know, it was a pretty smart business for her. The events themselves, hard work and the setup and the teardown. It's actually the smartest food business I think you can get into. There's no product waste. There's very little pre-prep and you just show up there, you pop kettle corn, you sell it for as much as you can get and you pack up, clean up, go home, you're done. Yeah,
0: no, that's a smart thing. Yeah,
1: the, the toughest challenge here is probably getting a commissary because as a small mm-hmm. business, you still have to show the public health department, I think it is, that you have a kitchen, pair of food at right. home and bring it to an event. So you can do deals with other business owners who have a commercial kitchen to register your business as their commercial kitchen. So that's probably the biggest challenge. But yeah, you can make, listen, there's folks out here who do kettle corn full time at the county fairs and sports right. and stuff. And they make a lot of serious. Oh of yeah, things. I can imagine. Yeah. But it, they're it hurting. Just, you know, we, we, she knows friends right now, but these people are hurting right now because all their eggs were...
0: Oh, I, I can imagine. And with your business too, with your consulting business, I mean, you do help uh, a lot of sole proprietors with the PPP loans. Is that right? No, actually, I have or not. Or assisting with them? Oh, okay. Um, that,
1: that I've not gotten into. Again, primarily my clients are, I'm doing business development and sales work on a fractional basis oh, Okay, selling IT services.
0: Okay. Okay. Yep. No problem. I'll scratch that part from the end. I misunderstood how you had it read. It yeah, off. I put that
1: in there just to make sure. I to, I put a monkey wrench in for you just to see if you'd read it, David.
0: Oh no, I, I I read it, but I <laughs> thought that that was like that that meant that no, you were doing I, that too. I'm sorry. I thought it
1: would be helpful to talk about PPP loans a bit. So so my okay. small business, um, I took a PPP loan is for for my consulting business. I am set up as a sole proprietorship, an LLC, Uh because one of my clients totally hit the skids as a result of COVID, although the other two primary ones have done very well. So I had some income that needed to be replaced, and I was able to with a new client, but I was impacted by COVID-19, so I did take a look.
0: So with the PPP loan, I mean, and and that's true too. With us, we have some clients that we're just, we're facing the fact right now that there are some clients of ours that have gone silent, and that's because they're not coming back. For us, it really stinks because the way that we do things like cloud hosting or stuff like that, we're on the hook. We have the contract with Amazon for AWS, not the client. They're they're leasing it essentially from us. So we've still got to uh, do that Commitment for those servers until the end of the term. It's not not fun. I mean, there's a lot of ways I think people aren't really realizing that some businesses are are losing and some additional costs. Businesses are going to have to plan for.
1: There's got to be so many painful stories out there for small and medium sized business. I think even in some large businesses, we just haven't peeled back the onion enough to look at some of these. Now, are some of your clients? Are you saying some of your clients are?
0: basically breaking their contracts and going quiet on you going dark they're breaking their clients like uh, so when we do when we do an amazon web service so if they say mm-hmm. hey david yes we want to buy sap business one with vision 33 we want you guys to host it in your cloud right. because it is a managed system yeah. we give them two choices they can pay for it 12 months up front okay which mm-hmm. is what we prefer because for us to get the rates that we offer them we yeah. have to sign an agreement for 12 months and that gives us you know a 26 or 35% discount, you know, it varies on the server needs for each client. Right. Now, we also, just as a courtesy, because we, you know, we are a decent-sized business, uh, we allow our customers to do monthly payments on that to where mm. they do an ACH payment. OK, right. they sign up auto draft first of every month. What we're seeing is now it's a small it's a much smaller amount than what we anticipated. But yes, they have bounced. They've gone silent. We can't get a hold of anybody.
1: Yeah. And then but, you're left holding the bag in a sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and that's the other thing, too, because, I mean, we've checked. Uh, I do have one out of the region I manage in the Northeast and they've gone silent. And it's like, OK, uh, the payments are bouncing. They've gone silent. Are they using the system? And then you log in and you see, wow, they haven't logged into Amazon to yeah. the server since April. It's, it's bad signs. And yeah. it, I, I think when people talk about businesses needing help, I mean, even with the PPP loans, okay, like you were yeah. saying, you got one. That was meant to get you through a period of time. But if you don't have other income coming in, when it's time for businesses to ramp back up, how hard is that going to be? They're not going to have that extra working capital. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And that's why I'm saying. I was very fortunate as a, as just a business consultant to have a little bit of flexibility in my client portfolio who was bringing the income in. Right. And I was able to make some moves to adjust for it. And PPP, fill a couple months from the client I lost, um, how much I have to pay back, et cetera, is actually still a little bit up in the air. But the, the point being that I could see where a lot of folks could get very much stuck if they weren't servicing an industry that was considered an essential industry, such as IT. Mm-hmm. Everything could quickly fall apart. Oh you yeah, definitely. Or restaurants, or something like that. It could be very, very difficult. And you can't so just. I wonder, if you're. A, and, and I'm sorry, David, but as a sole oh, no or a very small company. PPP really doesn't, if you don't have, if, if they replace payroll, it's not mm-hmm. really geared up to protect the business owner or the sole proprietor. You know, there's a hundred thousand dollar cap on
0: that. Oh yeah.
1: And interestingly enough, if you were a startup based on the way they set it up for sole proprietors, your mm-hmm. loan reimbursement is really tied to a percentage of last year's net earnings on your schedule C that, that can limit it a bit too. So if you started up, like I did halfway through last year, I can't even max out that hundred mm-hmm. grand in terms of how many weeks they. It, uh, it, 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 I won't get into the formula because I'm, I'm messing it up. But there's some challenges there
0: for a lot of people. And Oh, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. So what I wanted to do, too, while we have you here is I want to talk about your current client. Like, obviously, you don't have to give out the names or anything, but explain to us kind of what's your value? What do you do to help them? How are you helping them grow or maintain their, their, their stuff during this time period? Yeah,
1: so my primary clients are... I've been, like I said, I've been in the business a long time. I have a lot of relationships and contacts within the industry. And when you mm-hmm. think about it, the cost of hiring an experienced sales guy can be very, very high. And if you're a small oh, yeah. business of say twenty five to thirty or fifty employees, you know, you just can't afford one of these guys. They're they're too expensive. Right. So, but you you can get me on a fractional basis, and I can do. The same things, or essentially whatever it is you need me to do, whatever role you need me to fill, and I can kind of give you that front end to your business. And my job is to help them get in front of new opportunities. Obviously, obviously, I still measure my benefit or value to them based on the revenues I can bring in that were associated with. Uh, with so my you are
0: with. the the original Renaissance, <laughs> yeah. Know, essentially, essentially, because it's a good fit.
1: Yeah. Bear in mind. They also save on all the employee overhead costs you know they can give right. me that fee plus an upside for performance perhaps and well my you know unemployment costs and and, and or health care here's, and all here's that.
0: a question for you then now that you're bringing that up and that's that's true okay I want to delve into some of the sales stuff in a second but my first yeah. question is the very controversial law out there in California a b5 how does that that, how are you able to get around that? And they don't have to hire you as an employee. Is there an exemption for what you do or? Well, I believe I have
1: my business structured and my contract structured with this client in a way such that we're protected from that. And also the client. So listen, I haven't hired a lawyer to review it, but they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't, Set my hours. They don't tell me what to do. They and don't you tell also me are
0: an LLC as well, too, though, right? So that's exactly why I'm set up
1: as a yeah. uh, as an LLC, right? So most of the traditional rules mm-hmm. are, are, aren't aren't subject to this here. So I don't think AB five would be a concern. Um, okay. know, if the state or somebody wanted to make a big case out of it, you know, maybe they can make that argument. But AB five is interesting. What's interesting too is the yeah. ruling with Uber, and that might be a major. Injury. Oh yeah over here in the California. It's a big deal.
0: Yeah, I really wonder what's going to happen with that so with your situation as an llc i personally everything i'm reading and hearing from you i think you're you, you should be good as an llc i think if you were just a sole proprietor doing like yeah. a dba or something like that that's where you could run into the issues right you that's know i feel they're... bad for i feel bad for the uber drivers though if yeah. they're gonna be cut down because i mean you really—they're not going to have the freedom. It's not like, hey, I need an extra fifty bucks because this or that my my keyboard broke. I need a new wireless keyboard. Let's—I'm going to go drive this weekend with Uber, make fifty bucks, and I'm done. You're not going to be able to do that anymore. It—it it essentially is shutting that down. Yeah, that—that's a, a painful thing.
1: And it might reduce the flexibility we have to use the Uber service because the cost of the service. Should increase exponentially if they're subject employee ownership,
0: and they're setting hours and all that. This is really, really crazy. What's happening out there?
1: I'm a little out of my element, but I think they'll end up making a carve out for somebody like an Uber or some of these large internet-based companies thing is, my understanding is, is that Uber
0: Uber was the main reason why they who they were targeting when they did this. I thought they
1: are, but think about it: if Uber's subject to it, then so would I would think be Uber Eats and all these delivery services. And right now, right. these delivery services. So I really don't think it would be very popular or uh, held up long term if uh, these people were not considered contractors in the long run. I just think they need to adjust. Right. To the reality of these new services that have sprung up. We'll okay,
0: see. okay. So now uh, I wanted to pivot. Just general sales strategy. Okay, you're in sales. You're, you're doing sales services for your customers. You're in, you know, you do business development sales, whatever it may be. How has that impacted you during this global pandemic? What pivots have you had yeah. to make in order to get deals closed? First of all, I want. I miss the face to face interaction
1: with customers because yeah. that's a key enabler for sales yep. to get a face to face meeting with the prospect it's 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 really a game changer in terms of moving a deal out of the pipeline into a into a close. I do miss conferences and some of the other items that gave us opportunities to interact with potential clients and find new leads. So those are problems. I still think the essentials of sales apply. Things have changed, but the essentials are there. You have to find a way to build a relationship with them. And it's very difficult to do,
0: you know, Yes. LinkedIn is an You know, and with tool. that sorry, with that yeah. with that as well too email. I mean, one big thing that I notice, I you know, cuz I'm in management so I have escalations, things like that I deal with too, and it is so easy for things to be misinterpreted in email when it's written out, you, you know, and it's, it can lead to confusion because you don't really know that person. And that's where for me, it's just, I got to pick up the phone call and make the call.
1: Absolutely. Listen, we need to talk to people, but in the prospecting phase, it can be hard to get people on the phone, right? Oh, so yeah. it's a mixture. I listen, I still doing a lot of lead development and opportunity development for my clients. I'm not at the point yet where I'm just there to suggest that they hire this person to do this or that. No, I'm on the phone for the People doing business development, and I find
0: for me. So you're still you're you're doing during this time. You're still doing prospecting. Then for I'm the doing clients. a lot of prospecting. That's because
1: great. Actually, one of my clients is a newer client within the last couple of months and I have a lot of relationships to leverage. But a lot of us in sales, if you go to work with a new sales position for a new company, it's always about building the pipeline and you can only do that right. using the phone, using LinkedIn, using email, to some extent social media, although I might not be as relying on that as some younger folks. You still have to right. be and build relationships with new people to to, to jumpstart the business. Yeah. Has so I, LinkedIn I'm heavy
0: been, Has LinkedIn been successful for you because for me, and this is one of the reasons I started this podcast, was to replace networking. I find this to be a little bit over, I guess you could say oversaturated uh, with LinkedIn. I'm, I'm being blown up by messages with everybody. Yeah. uh, you know, trying to market to me. And that's why I was like, okay, let's start a podcast and build an audience and have them learn from people like me and experts like you. I, and, and that's why
1: I was excited to be on your podcast and why I've been following it. so yeah. But I, I think it's an excellent component of how social media, social networking can help in business development. Uh, LinkedIn has kind of been overplayed overworked. Yeah. I, I just think it's part of the mix, man. I mean, it's just like developing a relationship with anybody. Everybody's approach is going to be different and unique to be successful. And let me back up for a minute. Let's know that 80% of our attempts to network with somebody fail. If you don't really know, don't have a preexisting relationship, maybe even higher, maybe it's 90%. So it takes repetition. It takes commitment and dogged pursuit. And I'll use any combination of these tools to reach out to them because it's a numbers game, right? Right, right, right. Five, 10, 20% will decide to interact with you and talk about business with you. Starting point of zero. I had no relationship. So whatever works. Yeah,
0: the the all numbers game cliche. And it's funny because when you hear the numbers game, you can think of that as so many things, like the numbers as far as the numbers on a piece of paper to close a deal. But it's more than just that. It's a numbers game. How many people are you reaching out to? How many are you connecting to? How many are you building relationships to? How many are you staying in contact with? Continued contact, almost like a nurture stream. And I I think a lot of people kind of overlook that. And right now, now, I, I think more than ever, that's kind of critical during these points. Yeah, I like that term. I
1: hadn't heard it before. Did you say nurture stream?
0: Nurture stream. Yeah. Yeah. Nurture stream. That's like something it. that we do here in Vision 33. I also do it for me as well, personally. Yeah. And if you want to know, well, what is nurture stream? What does that look like from David Strasser's point of view? That's exactly you and me right here, buddy. How We've kept in contact over the years and have developed yeah. a relationship to where now uh what is it maybe six years since we first met now you're on my podcast sitting here Uh, and that's exactly what you're you're doing and that's why you know, like my Facebook, for example, I, I view LinkedIn people that I know professionally, but I also try to get people that I w- want to keep some kind of t- contact with on my Facebook as well, too, because that is the place that allows me to really build that deeper relationship that I just feel you can't do on LinkedIn.
1: Uh, I would agree. And uh, I thank you for bringing up Nurture Stream. That's a thought-provoking concept but yeah that's that's it you gotta Mm -hmm. nurture these relationships and again the hard part for me the challenge for me is take them from a I barely know you relationship to one where we can have a meaningful conversation about business problems so I can right. have a need to get my widgets in front of these people and describe how these service widgets can solve your business problems or determine that yep. they will. So that's
0: how I spend a lot of my time working on behalf of my clients today. No, that, no that's, that's great. And it sounds like you definitely give value. I mean, especially right now, if you think about it, so many companies are like we were just talking about, they're strapped for cash to be able to grow. But they still need to make sales. Sales makes the world go round. There is no business essentially without sales. And exactly. it's I think one of the, it's one of the more undervalued pieces I think sometimes with some organizations. Uh, and I think sometimes sales get a bad rep too. You know, like oh. being uh, full of drama, you know, high maintenance stuff like that. Well, that's my it, it, I am high
1: maintenance, but you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. My wife would say the same about me. So I want to ask you just over your extensive career in technology and now that you've been working on your own, I'm sure that you've made some mistakes. Everybody does. You know, that's how life is. You live and learn trial and error. As long as you realize what you did and you're able to grow from that, it's good that you probably made the mistake. So can you give us a couple of the bigger mistakes that you've made? Not to put you on the spot. No, 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 no.
1: (laughs) Mistakes are important. Well, I think I mentioned one at the outset and I still work to maintain a good relationship with this business partner, but- this business partner in UK, you know, when I started US business for him to sell his product over here, I made some significant mistakes there. And I'll just say in summary, without getting into detail, because obviously both myself and the UK business partner wished it had turned out much differently. But <laughs> yeah, control, I, I got too excited about the opportunity in terms of yeah. I didn't do my market research. I I, I, I just had it set in my mind that people had to have this whether they realized it or not. And fundamental error because once we brought it to market, frankly I can't realize there's not a lot of people who saw a huge need for it. The technology was fantastic and the economic business case around the technology still makes sense. So do
0: you think you put the did you put the cart in front of the horse then essentially? Cart in front of the horse. And of course I got caught up in some of the
1: other excitement related to it. Listen, I've wanted to run my own business for Mm -hmm. time. And I've taken a few stabs at it. And I guess To summarize, and I'm sorry I'm not going too into detail, every time I've done it, every time I've done it, I've made an error. And I've come to realize, hey, you know what, even though that's what I want and that seems to be a passion of mine, it's not what I was built to do. I'd relate that to my music career, right? I was (laughs) in college. I wanted to produce and engineer and record pop music. I wanted to be a capable player, but it wasn't really what I was built to do. Something in business is what I was built to do. Cause I always gravitated towards business. I mm-hmm. had sales throughout my career and I've just found, and you know, I'm a little later in my career now. I think what I was built to do was sales and business development and help technology companies connect with new customers. And you know, that's good.
0: That's good. And that's good that you've accepted that. I, I, I can really relate to your story. I mean, we have a lot of things in common. I think that's why we yeah. kind of like each other for the most part. But I, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, for many years, I wanted to just run my own business, be myself, have my own product. And for about six years or so, uh, during the Great Depression there, I ended up going through where I was doing my own consulting business. And that was okay because it was pretty much, you know, I'm a hired sales guy to do this role, that role and whatever. But eventually I just kind of had to accept it, at least at this point in my life. I don't think I'm built for that. I'm much better if I have just a product that I can believe in, something I can grow. I'm still going to reach for the sky. Absolutely. But I kind of had to take that step and be aware and accept that and i think once i finally accepted that that's where instead of going like this i just went like that
1: and that so the doors opened which means it was uh however you want to express it it was uh true to your uh calling or true to your purpose and and yeah. i think life is a lot more enjoyable when we're working in harmony with what our purpose or calling is and uh, hey listen yeah. it's just a sales career and you know I'm a schlock sales guy. I yeah, still what, till that, this that, day I Yeah, so that's what I meant to do. And if I can make it. a good living doing it, that's great. And and here's the other thing I want to talk about David. The other big piece for me was I have this tremendous flexibility in my personal life today. So we travel right. a lot. And that's one of the reasons I set it up this way. So if I want to go spend a few weeks in Montana, as I'm doing now, and work for Montana, I can essentially at the drop of a dime. So even though it's a difficult time, we're spending a lot more time seeing friends who live remotely and spending in places that aren't so hot in the summer and that have some tremendous <laughs> big part of oh, that you should economy too.
0: you should feel the humidity out here in pennsylvania right now i swear it's it feels so humid it could be 60 degrees and i'd still be soaking in sweat Ugh, i miss man. the dry heat of, of socal so i have uh, two final questions for you because we do got to start wrapping this up the first one is what kind of advice do you have as far as people that are struggling, whether they're in sales, business development, or maybe they're sales driven and they're you know, an owner of a small business, as far as making the correct pivots and digital transformation to be able to grow during this time and not you know, have their business go too far backwards.
1: In a way, two separate subjects. Digital transformation is kind of a whole subject to its own. Oh yeah, and I don't, and I don't know that I could say I'm an expert there. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that one aside for a minute and just focus on how to connect with new prospects.
0: Well, I view
1: here. Wait, go uh, ahead.
0: Yeah, if you, what I would say with my argument there with the digital transformation is that it is part of sales right now because of how we have to communicate with sales, uh, prospects, clients. I mean, I could tell you, I'm not doing many phone calls with anybody these days, even just regular cell phone calls, audio. Most of my calls right now are actually video chats, regardless of platform. And getting used to that, I feel is actually critical for the businesses to be able to succeed. in yeah. in sales right now. Yeah,
1: uh, okay, so a couple things on that. So yeah, embrace Zoom and use video all the time. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm mm-hmm. still on a lot of calls with a lot of coworkers where they it's hard to get them on a Zoom or, or Skype or what have you and use the video. No, use the oh, video. Yeah. It's a different type of face-to-face, but it's face-to-face, It's a chance to interact. So even if you're on a bridge where nobody else is using it, use it, hopefully it'll generate right. them to participate in that way. Now I tell my clients, fan of this. So I'm not, I don't, so if I'm helping them build a business and a reach out campaign to their customers, the digital piece is huge, but I don't get excited about that personally, Mm -hmm. nor am I as capable on that as I am in a little more of the old school or face-to-face business development and sales. They go together using your website and your call to action on your website and your email campaigns, Mm -hmm. doing the follow-up. And I think most critically, using the right CRM tool to support that uh, and tracking all that mm-hmm. is
0: huge. So I can. What know- kind of CRM tool do you use? If you don't well, I, I've, I've used what Salesforce use pretty
1: extensively
0: in the past, right. but it's a little pricey. So today I'm using HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, we use HubSpot as well too. I have yeah. many customers, you know, like. Business one comes with a CRM built inside, but Mm -hmm. Salesforce is a best of breed. So there's customers that, even if they make, even if they change, they still love Salesforce, but it is pricey. I mean, I've seen even small businesses when I'm talking with them, like, hey, are you sure you want to keep it? If you do, we'll integrate it. You're fine. but it's like a hundred grand, even for a small amount of users.
1: Yeah, and the problem with it too is, uh, this is your bread and butter if you're selling SAP implementations, right? So the cost of implementing features and integrations and updates to a Salesforce, just like a SAP implementation, Mm -hmm. also the cost of ownership can be quite high too. HubSpot's done a pretty good job. I know there's a lot of others out there as well. I just haven't had a chance to use them as much, so I can't speak to them. But that's the challenge for today. Yes, the digital transformation piece is key because it's a huge way it's it's a huge part of how you keep in touch with your customers and develop that relationship. And I what I generally recommend is we need to bring in some outside help for some of these things. Tied to that too is you need to have a talented uh, graphics or web developer as part of your solution too Mm -hmm. because everything kind of calls for that. You know, whether it be a new brochure or your email blasts or your website changes, if somebody in-house can't do it efficiently and professionally, you have to have access to a good resource for that.
0: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think that's kind of why I really am impressed and like your consulting agency because of the fact... It's just kind of like we were just talking about with uh, Salesforce, HubSpot, as far as best of breed. You're allowing companies to have a best of breed sales experience through somebody like you, and it's a lot cheaper for the overhead and all that other stuff by using the you know using you when when they need you instead of bringing someone on full time to do it. So. I guess the last question I have about you, it's got to be about music. <laughs> We're both musicians. You've seen my guitar collection already. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you swear I need to diversify because they're all Les Pauls. What's your favorite guitar? Well, I, I love
1: a, a, a Telecaster. Is probably my absolute favorite. From a, hey, that's cool. The guys who played them when I was a kid made me go, wow. I think they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of guys who play strats play telly. You know, it's a single humbucker, but strat right. too. They're just different sounds, man. So I do kind of gravitate towards a telly or a strat right now. Personally, I don't own either one of them. I
0: don't
1: Off. <laughs> I I go through stuff. Acoustics go. I love Taylor acoustics. Hey, listen,
0: Taylor acoustics right I, there in San Diego.
1: Yeah, right, right where I used to work. Right. Um, Paul Reed Smith. Paul Reed Smith makes some fantastic guitars. Oh yeah. There's a lot of others I've picked up that are just incredible. There's a lot of fantastic products out there these days. Uh, I, I'm, uh, listen, primarily a bass player. There's a lot of great basses out there these days from these kind of boutique and, and, and niche places. So, you know, listen, I love us balls. They're great, certain types of sound.
0: <laughs> but I. At least you can say that my collection is beautiful, even if it is all Les Paul's, it's right? It's
1: beautiful and I'm envious and it made me go, man, I should hold on to these things instead of just selling them when I get tired of using them. And I should actually yeah. think about building a real collection because they're not mm-hmm. the best, David, if you buy the right ones and you take good care of them. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I have one. So when I sold my first million dollar client, I had to celebrate and I bought a expensive top of the line Les Paul. I got it for about half price, I guess with their markups and stuff. But I mean this was a MSRPs like 6000 plus right. and I got it for about 32. And I got I think it's a 2017 blueberry or what is it? blue something, blue burst. It's a it's a blue burst uh-huh. blue raspberry burst it's beautiful and it's one of the high performance models i love it and then i have some mid-range gibsons and then i have two specialty epiphones one being yeah. the joe perry boneyard lespa which i love yeah. yeah yeah and then the other does well? one does that does that one play well Oh, yeah, yeah. So what I'm t- while the wood is not going to be the, you know, the real wood like Gibson's would right. use. I'm told that this is the first one they came out with the burst bucker pickups. OK. Bucker, OK. All right. So I could be wrong. I mean, this is back All 2003, 2004 right. ish and that the hardware on it is top notch. I could tell you that it sounds awesome. I have a buddy who's a musician. He's borrowed it to record in a song. He All said right. it was amazing. They love That's it. Good, good testament. And the other guitar, I don't know if you uh, saw this, but it's actually a 100-year anniversary Les Paul for Les Paul's 100th birthday. Oh. And I got that in Wine Red. I don't remember that one. Nice. Oh, I'll send you a picture later. I'll text it to you. So have, you got
1: a, have you ever taken him in to get set up? Or get into yeah
0: yeah you know i used to be really good at doing that stuff myself but mm. i only got back into music probably about four or five years ago and at that point uh mm. like yeah i can tune it and stuff but it's like hey I, I better i'll just take it to somebody it's like 40 bucks to take yeah, it to guitar center. I'll,
1: I'll go in and get it set up because sometimes it can make a huge difference on certain instruments to get it set up for yeah action, intonation, uh,
0: everything. Yeah. The only bummer with my Joe Perry uh, Boneyard Les Paul is that it's got fret buzz, and they have not been able to get that out. Now, this is the second one I owned. I mm. originally owned one when they were new, back in, like, 2005, five, six ish around there. But I had sold that when I moved back to Mexico one time. So... Uh. It, and it was one of those regrettable items. And it kind of stinks because then when I bought this one, I was stuck with the fret buzz. I see. So, hey, which reminds me, yeah. do you still keep in touch with Sam the Cooking Guy? Yes, 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 yes. I have contact info for Sam the Cooking Guy. Do you need him? So he's a regional guy. You
1: don't get to see him here much in the San Diego area as we do. And people back east in other areas of the country might mm-hmm. have an idea who we're talking about. But he, he's he's a very entertaining guy, and oh yeah, we love the way he cooks. And I know you yep. worked with him back then, and
0: uh, I- yeah, when I was working with the Baja California Secretary of Tourism, uh, I ended up helping Sam. Uh, I, I, I guess you could say I was a location scout. I had to go to the different places in Baja, get it all set up, negotiate this stuff, and then set it up. And we actually had one of Baja's top chefs cook with Sam the cooking guy on top of a skyscraper in data Tijuana. That was always a dream of Sam doing that. But he, you know, in the States, he's like, everywhere we tried, they will not allow us to cook with open flames on the roof of the skyscrapers. Yeah. So, you know, it was a bucket list item for him and the episodes turned out pretty awesome. And it's really neat because it's the first time I got a professional credit on it i remember they were good shows yeah oh yeah yeah so anyways pete it's been a pleasure talking with you how can people get in contact with you please shoot me a note at pete oh let's keep it
1: simple p paisley at gmail.com p p a i s l e y p paisley at gmail
0: okay and i'll also include that in the description as well too Pete, it's been a pleasure for you coming on here. I love chatting with you every chance I get. I hope you'd come back eventually, hopefully. Uh, uh, hey, <laughs> I
1: guess you're getting these days. I don't think you'll need me back, but i love to be back. Anyway.
0: Oh, hey, that's a thing. That's a thing. Whether it's Jack Douglas, Aerosmith's keyboardist, all these other hot guests that we got coming on the show, I'm still always true to my friends, and there's always going to be a spot for you guys in Sharkbite Biz.
1: You're awesome. And maybe we could do a panel or something someday. It's another thing to think about. Yeah,
0: yeah, that is something uh, out in Los Angeles. I used to do my events and I would always have a discussion panel with four very diverse speakers uh, on the panel. When I say diverse, I'm talking just their backgrounds, their experiences, because I try to do things that are out of the box. So I'm up for anything. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thank you again, Pete. Yeah, that was pretty cool right he is amazing <laughs> and he's also relatively pretty transparent as you see during the interview he'll tell you how it is and he's a straight shooter that's why i love Pete. congrats to him though and a big shout out for starting doing his own thing and being able to live the life that he wants having that lifestyle of Just traveling in the RV, living, working mobily, doing his own thing on his own time. Kudos to you, Pete. I got to admit... I'm jealous. I think it's awesome what his business is doing right now and how he is hitting the phones remotely and closing deals as a hired gun during this pandemic. Pete is doing it successfully. If you have a business and you need help and your sales are struggling, it can be way cheaper on your overhead and all that stuff to look at somebody like Pete for a short to midterm solution to help achieve growth during this pandemic. I also really like how he gave some honest feedback about the struggles with his business and things that he's learned during his career. This is one of those amazing discussions where you can cover a variety of topics. Remember, in your career, whether you're a sales rep, an executive, a manager, a small business owner, the only way that you're going to grow your career is to reflect. You have to reflect on the good and the bad. You have to evaluate what you do and keep evaluating and reevaluating. You have to keep doing what you did that was good, but if you don't evaluate, you probably won't recognize what you did that was good. This is the only way that it's really going to help you to grow. Remember, as they say, mistakes aren't bad if you learn from them, but You've got to do that hard reflection in the mirror to be able to learn from, again, the good and the bad. So, what did you think about the interview? My question for everybody out there is have you ever thought about hiring somebody for business development a company like the play group if you did how did it work for you what's your thought process what results did you get leave a comment in the description below and let's chat about it again if you enjoy this video please be sure to give it a like And as always, make sure that you subscribe and share the video. I want to get these good words and good vibes out to every single business-minded folk we possibly can. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again next episode. Thank you for listening to Shark By Biz.